Good morning, and welcome to Intermission, where we press pause to hear your story and talk about how to be the light in a world that can feel so dark. So grab your coffee. It's time to wake up. Good morning or afternoon or evening. Um, yeah, it's time to wake up. And I feel I've been waking up more and more uh, over the last several weeks. And I'm super excited and just grateful to have Erica Jones on the podcast with me today. And Erica, um, I kind of virtually met her through the yoga community. Um, she is a yoga instructor and lives in uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota. And I reached out to her after seeing um, some of her shares on Instagram and her energy just drew me in and what she's up to um, inspired me and I wanted to know more. And so Erica's here. She is a global inclusion and diversity leader. Um, in her current role, she collaborates with uh, key stakeholders to develop comprehensive strategies that will increase diversity, build, and sustain inclusive behaviors. And I know for me lately, a, a lot of talk around include, like, how can we be more inclusive? How can we create an environment where people feel like they belong, especially at a yoga studio where we've been blinded. We've had blind spots for so long. Like, how do we make that switch? So I'm excited to talk about that. She was born and raised in Lincoln, Nebraska, and has lived across the eastern part of the United States. She attended University of Nebraska, and I hear she is a forever corn husker. <laughs> um, like I said, a registered 200-hour yoga instructor and Lululemon ambassador. Um, bringing diversity, mindfulness, and inclusion into spaces is her purpose and her passion. She says it requires looking at self in order to lead with inclusive behaviors that impact the whole. Her journey of bravery began the moment she experienced fear, fear of being labeled, stereotyped, excelling, and failing. Through personal development and yoga, she began walking the road of courage to cultivate bravery. And this began her journey of being a compassionate disruptor to ensure all people feel welcomed, valued, and heard. And I honestly like have chills on my body as I'm reading that. And when I read it earlier, um, a compassionate disruptor. And that's, that's what I saw through your Instagram shortly after the murder of George Floyd and how you were approaching people on the street who were angry and upset. And I just that really lands for me. And I know when you and I have spoken before, you talked about raising the vibration, like, you know, can we come together and also vibrate at a higher capacity? And um, I'm just so glad that you're here and excited to hear your story. And yeah, welcome, Erica. Thank you. Thank you. So tell us um, about growing up in Lincoln, Nebraska. What was that like for you? Oh, it was so great. Um, my parents are from D.C., so I spent a lot of time going back and forth to D.C., and I, I love Lincoln, Nebraska. Um, you know, I being that it was in the Midwest and the, the time in which it was, it I mean, I wouldn't have a single complaint. Um, 
I uh, went to high school. I graduated. Um, this will reveal my age, but I graduated in 95. And so when I think back to that time, the high school that I went to, it was the largest high school in the state and one of the most diverse high schools in the country at the time. Um, and I'm forever grateful for that experience because it really was a real world. And when we went into high school, you know, you're and there was over 2,400 kids and this was like 10th through 11, 12th grade. So that's a lot of students in one school. And um, we, they told us like, this will shape your viewpoint of the world. And you're, you know, you're 14, 15, you have no idea what that means. And what I know now is that that meant is that, you know, we had over 40 different languages spoken in our school. We had LGBTQ, like we learned about it. We were taught what feminism meant. We had a gay and lesbian homecoming and prom. And, you know, like we were led to believe to like check, not identify with the box, like when it comes to party lines and, you know, to really be activist at, at that time. I mean, we had like school walkouts because they wanted to have a bell and it was like, we're not robots. We can be a free choice and free will. And, you know, when they um, added a daycare to our school because they, um, you know, like in the 90s, it's a conservative state and everyone would thought that it was like we were condoning teen pregnancy and what it was is they were giving girls an opportunity to finish high school. And, and you know, it was, that's that stays with you, right? Like that stays with you when you walk into the bathroom and you don't see women, you see ladies and you see like, and you see the languages spoken at such a young age. And my, I'm really close with my high school friends still are, I mean, our class is pretty large. And during this um, George Floyd, like it's our 25 year reunion this year. And we're like, let's, let's do something to give back. And um, like, we didn't go through that experience to, sit on it. Um, and then when I went to University of Nebraska, it was polar opposite. Um, it was predominantly white, very conservative mindset where it was like, whoa, we just went into a twilight zone because um, our whole high school was extremely diverse. Um, and that was the slogan of the high school, strengthen our diversity. Um, and, you know, it was so funny. My senior year in college, I was like, I minored in, I have a concentration in sociology it was a 400 level course. And the professor was like, okay, for part of your experimental study, we want you to go to Lincoln High and experience like the diversity. And that's a school that I went to. And my friend that was in the class, she happened to go to high school with me. We were there. And we're like, we're, this is like our project to go back to our high school to get like a cultural <laughs> experience. Um, so clearly we did not do that. Um, and so, uh, and yeah, so that, that, it was, um, it, it, it seems so crazy, you know, like as seeing these events unfold, um, you know, especially like Juneteenth, it was like, gosh, I learned that about that in high school. Like, how do people not know about that? You know, it, yes. so it, it's like this, it's like this little conservative city that also has this progressiveness in it based on like through that high school. So, um, that was ingrained and I, you know, I majored in journalism and the one thing that I loved about journalism, of course, is like I wanted to be Oprah. Um, and I always wanted to say like, okay, if there was news that I could share, it'd be really news mm -hmm. that can, could connect people through their story and building inclusivity. Clearly that didn't happen. And um, I worked at Abercrombie for 15 years and which led me into diversity and inclusion. And, you know, it seemed, uh, it, I, I really didn't 
um, understand like, okay, what led me to that? But when I think about um, my own growing up experience and feeling like I was the only one, then going into high school where I felt like I belonged, then moving to New York and all these places, I felt so fitting. And um, also with what I majored in degree, because I had so much guilt of not pursuing that, that like through that, through inclusion, through diversity, through equity is storytelling of people and listening to that. And so it was a perfect blend. Um, So yeah, growing up in Lincoln, Nebraska, it's like forever this place. I mean, I don't have any desire to move back there now after living multiple places, but I'm, it's like the root and foundation of who I am. Wow. I'm just thinking about how different our experiences were. Um, First of all, your high school sounds like a dream. Like I, you know, I grew up in a small, all white town in Kentucky and um, actually knew something was different about me in high school about my sexuality. And I hid it, you know, like I went to a missionary Baptist church where I was told I was going to hell um, if that is in fact who I was. And so I hid it and I just think about, um, you know, what that experience (laughs) could have been like for someone like me or for other people. And like, I feel like that should be the goal of all high schools, colleges. Um, So anyways, and then first of all, I want to say like reveal your age, like own it. Um, You said you graduated in 95. I graduated in 93. So I got you on a few years. Yes. Yeah. We would have been in high school at the same time and you would have, you would have definitely owned it. And like, I can't even, I mean, and also I know the timing is perfect and I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. And also what would that have been like? Um, And I think about, you know, Juneteenth, I literally truly just learned about Juneteenth this year. And, you know, and that's one of those things where it's really like, it was uncomfortable to admit that. And I think that's part of the movement right now is like, if you don't acknowledge (laughs) um, what's there, then you can't heal it. And so I definitely did not learn about Juneteenth in my high school. I just acknowledge that that high school and what they're up to and what they're doing. And so I'm curious too, you mentioned that your friends, your 25 year reunion is happening and you mm-hmm. said you wanted to do something to give back. Um, is there something planned? No, someone had just, someone had wrote that um, like in our little group. And mm-hmm. I mean, we don't know what it looks like, right? Cause there's also the other pandemic of COVID and um you know, it was just like, okay, like we're the ones that we've been waiting for. And so mm-hmm. um, I think that we'll end up brainstorming and knowing my, knowing the group of friends of mine in my class, it's either go big or go home um, mm-hmm. where it's really shifting. It's not like, oh, let's just go volunteer and hand out food. It's really being in the work of um, either a systematic change to um hosting. I I don't know what that looks like. Um, but, and I know that they, um, I mean, so many of them, when I, when I look at a huge group of my friends during that time, a lot of them, what their work is, 
uh, professionally too is activism work or working in inner city schools or, um, and which is, which is pretty remarkable. Um, and you know, majority of my friends are white, so it's not like this is, you know, anything, um, uh, you know, where it's just like my friends who are black that are doing this, it's, it's that too. So I, I don't know what that looks like. Well, okay. We, we still have to figure that out. <laughs> yeah. I was just curious. And I think it is incredible and most likely has everything to do with the, you know, way things were presented and shaped for you in high school. All so inclusive and so diverse um, that some of the work that I'm now doing, you and your friends were already doing. Totally. Yeah yeah. 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 And there's still, you know, I, I also don't want to, I'm going to bring in a level of humility of like, there's still things that we like need to continue to learn. Right. Mm -hmm. However, mm -hmm. like a lot of the conversations that are beginning to be had is um, like, like that foundation, that um, marsh of growing was like already planted. It was already there. Right. So like, it's very easy, I guess, to shift a little bit faster. The learning curve is um, there. So it's more of a deepening, like, I don't want to say that we know, all things. However, it was like this opening that was already there. So it's, we don't have to break down the walls of like, oh, what does this really mean? Or being naive to like, that isn't true. Um, Cause it, it was really there and super true. And um, uh, yeah, there was like a full school walkout during the um, like Rodney King riots and, you know, just like talking, talking about that then like that. Wow. I mean, we were 15 at that time. So, yeah. yeah. Well, and I, I think also in my, my, the way I was shaped by my environment, like in the last several weeks, like really bringing my blind spots into focus, uh, like my implicit biases, like things that I just kind of tapes running in the background based on, you know, the environment I grew up in, um, that I, you know, as someone being someone from the LGBTQ plus community, like I have always been, you know, we are all equal, like everyone deserves, you know, equal pay and equal rights. And, and also still based on where I was raised and my environment, TV, everything, there's tapes running in the background, you know, snap judgments um, or stereotypes that I might make. And, so the, I think the different, one of the key differences is that, right, my work right now is to bring those into focus and to dismantle them so that I can be a stand and, and be an anti-racist. And, and also, like you brought up, like having the conversations. And I mentioned earlier, like one of the things that really drew me to you was a conversation you had. And I don't know if they were a couple, it was a white man and a white woman. You were kind of standing and looking over the city. This was after George Floyd was murdered and your city was essentially on fire. I remember you walking with your cell phone and there's just it's smoke like all around you. And I just remember feeling like so emotional. I felt angry you know, like, how can I help and all these things. And, and then I saw you have that conversation where with, within a matter of, and I don't know if it was the full conversation that was caught on video, I would love to know, but 
in that moment, it went from like they were angry and enraged. And then you just had a conversation with them. And I think about in your bio, it says a compassionate disruptor. And because clearly, like, it's time to disrupt, like the drift, like what's been happening systemically and otherwise. And so I would love for you to just share a little bit, um, maybe specifically on that conversation or what the days were like after um, that happened to George Floyd. Yeah, I mean, that conversation, I mean, prior to this, I was at Metro Transit um, doing equity, inclusion and diversity. And I happened to go over because that corner was at 50th and in Lake um, or something like that, Lake in Chicago. And that particularly bus stop area, we did a lot of work at um, because to help create more safety um, for riders. So, yeah, the whole entire city was filled with black smoke. Um, And I walked over to go look at that bus stop because like that to me was like personal where this was, it was burning, it was vandalized, it was um, all that. And I I just stood there and all like reflecting like all of the good work that we had did there nearly almost exactly a year ago um, with an anti-harassment campaign that we had rolled out and standing there recording it. And what wasn't recorded was um, the man like coming charging at me saying this, this is your fault. This is your people. You did this. And I could just hear his language like, this is your fault. These are your people. Mm -hmm. I was like, well, clearly it's not my fault. I'm just standing here. It's like 7 a.m. in the morning. Um, And, um, you know, call it like invincible. I I don't know. Like, I know my response to people a lot of times is very de-escalating. And, yeah, I don't know if they were partners or whatnot, but, you know, she kind of, um, settled him down, which I also think that it's really something that's not shared. This will be a side topic. Um, that's not being communicated. And this is also like masculinity, like male, the mask, mm-hmm. like male toxicity, because that woman was there and, and gotten in front of him. Um, mm-hmm. so like, I just need to parking lot that, mm-hmm. um, cause there is something to that, but, um, you know, I knew what he was saying, like, and this is the part of yoga, personal development, 11 years of doing this like practice that I could have either taken that very personally. Um, and what I heard was his fear, his anger, his sadness, um, all behind accusatory comments. Now, maybe it's a shield of me to like shield accusatory generalizations and comments, which maybe that's not a good thing. However, it was an opportunity for me to really um, de-escalate and come from a common ground because it's very easy. What I know for so long and that I've always tried to defy for so long and a lot of my own personal healing um, is like, is also not generalizing one black individual with all and or um, the um, looting and the rioting as making it a generalization, then all black people are like that. Mm-hmm. And I, that, that's not fair to do. Um, mm-hmm. And so, you know, it was a simple question of like, do you think I want this? And um, 
And then he was like, well, I hope not. Like, I would hope not. And I'm like, well, I'm standing here looking at it, a burned building, same as you. So I think the answer speaks for itself. And we were able to have a conversation from there. And um, either A, I could have like walked away um, and like left. Um, or B, I could have like screamed back at him and like, that's not who I am. Or like for me, it's like stepping into the fire and, and having a conversation with him. And that, that's what I like to do. Um, and, uh, and where it left him walking away with like me generalizing or me seeing someone else. Cause I think I said that at the end of the video that the next time he does see someone that's black, the next time that he does like now his bias is heightened. Like his bias is associating what he saw, what he experienced now with all black people. So now that's his work. His work is mm -hmm. to understand his triggers, his bias, is, his work is to understand like what makes it trigger. And then how does he shift his bias? We all have biases. Mm -hmm. They're not ever going to go away. The work is how we react in them. And like what that's what he was doing was reacting what he saw on TV, the images, the people, hearing Black Lives Matter, seeing smoke everywhere, and then immediately act on his bias where he could then make accusatory statements to me. So, I mean, that that's the power, right? Like that's the power and the practice, that's the power in um, response and being controlled. And a lot of people may say that it's, it could feel exhausting. Like I've heard that a lot in, 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 you know, like around in black community, like that's exhausting. Cause I always have to be the one that responds in a different way. And, hmm. and for me, like, that's just, that's like a way of being. Um, and I, and I filmed that because not for my own safety. I filmed that because that needs to happen more often. People have to step in the fire and engage in more conversations. We can't walk away from situations that are hard like that. We can't um, fuel his fire by like screaming back at it. And th there's a way to do that. And, um, and I didn't know how it was going to go, um, nor did I know how it was going to end. And, and that was real. Like nothing about it was staged. He didn't even know that I was recording it. Um, I mean, I did get, I did tell the woman afterwards that I did record it um, just for their permission. Um, and and he didn't know. So it was like a authentic, and I honestly forgot that I was recording it. So it was like a, um, an authentic, um, conversation. And so, yeah, like I was able to take away what he was saying and know what he was feeling. And when we can know what is behind a person saying something like to what really, what they're feeling, the core they're feeling, they're feeling well, we're able to like respond. And I wasn't going to engage in that. Like that to me would have been like, beneath me to like really engage in that. So it's like rise above the fray. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And typically what I've come to know is when there's anger, there's like you were saying something underneath that, like fear, sadness, you know, what confusion, you know, whatever it is. And um, I've parked and put the, the masculinity part in the parking lot um, to chat about that. But I think about the choice that you made in that moment. And I do, you know, this practice, this yoga practice has um, created an awareness for me for those moments, like a, the ability to press pause 
when someone's coming at me or like he was coming at you, like to know like this isn't about him versus Erica. Like this doesn't have to do with you. Um, it has to do with just whatever he's feeling underneath all of that. And, you know, this, this podcast, you know, it's in the intro, it says this is a time to press pause. So like have the conversation to reflect. Um, and I even think like this pandemic uh, is a, a global and collective pause, like to really look at, look at what's happening in the world and take the time to make the necessary shifts. And you talked about now when he sees another black person, it's, kind of been brought out of the blind spot into, you know, some part of his focus that, you know, maybe something will shift before he speaks next time. And I did a diversity and inclusion training recently. And one thing that landed with me, um, it was with Jessica Thompson here in Nashville. And is that implicit bias that I have, like the tape that I talked about running in the background and how, the difference and what I can shift if those don't ever go away is noticing when I do those and pressing pause to not create then a microaggression. If I see someone walking towards me on the sidewalk who is black and in a hoodie, I might have a, a bias that comes up, but can I press pause and not cross the street to turn it then into a microaggression where they feel um, judged or, you know, like that they did something wrong. And um, I love how you said that, that now moving forward, something could shift for him because of the conversation, because you stepped into the fire. I like how you say that because it's uncomfortable, right? Nobody, nobody wants to be there, but through my yoga practice, and I'm sure for you, um, I've learned to stay when things get uncomfortable and to breathe and to get present like grounded in the moment, what's really happening versus the story that's either coming at me or that I create in my head. Yeah, I was, I just had a conversation, you know, like some of the things that you had or that you just touched on is, um, you know, like the whole element of allyship. And I asked, somebody asked me about that and like, what's the word? And, and, you know, what I said to me is like, we can get caught up in the semantics of the word, but active allyship is also knowing your bias and when you are creating them into microaggressions and the example that you exactly gave was like, okay, do you cross the street when you see this person and, or are you an active ally and are you willing to call somebody out when they're doing that behavior? Because mm -hmm. it's one thing for yourself. However, if you see and hear something and it is a microaggression, then you also do you rise and be a champion, cross the line and then be an active ally. Cause I mean, there's been several times where I've seen microaggressions happen right in front of me and you know we're calling people out for saying masks not wearing masks are we also calling people out as well when we see microaggressions you right. know and it's, there's a way of doing it right that's like dignified and respectful it's not rude and it's not shaming or blaming it's mm -hmm. getting people to see something different you know and and getting to see their intent versus their effect um and like their impact that they have on someone else um and you know that that is yeah, that's really important. And, you know, that's why a lot of this work is, I, I love it that everyone is doing diversity and inclusion trainings. However, in the corporate world, um, 
there's also a lot of criticism with diversity and inclusion training. Mm. There's, there's not a lot of ways to measure an outcome. The training that is mm. done right now, it also takes practice and the training, everyone doing it, it takes practice and it takes personal work. Um, so I'm so grateful that everyone's now open to it. However, you could have like a one hour worth of training. It's one hour worth of training. We're inundated so much with information that it's a continuous practice. Um, and so, you know, I encourage that for you and I encourage that for everyone else is like putting yourself in uncomfortable situations from the trainings that you're learned in order to be able to practice it. Mm-hmm. Um, otherwise, it's like I absorbed an hour worth of information, um, you know, and I, I remember during the uh, election, the last one, and it was what, a Wednesday, the next day when we got the results, and I was like, whoa, here is biases all over the street. Like if there was like, I wish I had like a virtual reality thing of my (laughs) brain, like that person, that person, and it's getting ready to go to work. I walked out my door. I went right back in and I texted my manager and I was like, I need to get my head on straight because right now there are biases throwing everywhere. And she's like, yep, same, you know, like our team. Mm -hmm. And because I knew that that was happening. However, there was like an awareness to know that I was doing that, you know, and like myself who understands it, but I I had to like check my own biases at the door. I had to like understand why I had to like really do a lot of inner work to um, think about, you know, how do I, what are the behaviors? You know, there's some behaviors that I have of like leading with an inclusive mindset and which ones are the ones that I needed during that time. And, pull them out of the toolkit because it was, it was like a ping pong of biases that were going everywhere. Um, and, uh, so that is the piece of like really being aware of them. Yes. Yeah. And being an active participant and taking a stand, like you said. Yeah. 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 And meditation is such a huge tool. There's a lot of, um, you know, one of the things that I am like, slowly working on is mindful inclusion. Like they're so important. And there's a lot of study and working on a curriculum around that. I've done it once for an organization and doing it again tomorrow for another. Um, And because there's a lot of research in meditation, how meditation helps mitigate bias, right? Like, as you know, meditation is allowing thoughts to come up and you see the thoughts, there's like probably a hundred thoughts and they just, and they go by. It's not about quieting your mind or saying like, Hey, we don't have bias. Mm. So, you know, imagine like a walking meditation, you're walking down the street and here's this man, or here's this woman, or here's this unsheltered person. And like, those are thoughts. And all you're doing is like observing it and going by without any judgment. Like that is the power of meditation and, Mm. and a really key tool to help mitigating um, biases that is something really great to leverage. Yeah. I'm so glad you brought that up because I've, while I have a meditation practice and also am becoming aware of my own biases, I'd never really put them together as far as like seeing them. And I know I recently did a program where we meditated um, every day, twice a day in increments. It grew from five minutes um, to 30 minutes, twice a day. Yeah. Yeah. 40 days. Uh huh. And, um, things really shifted for me during that time. We, I, we went um, to the beach and it just kind of psh, like went out the window and I noticed like how different, 
like my way of being is when I do not meditate. There's even more at stake right now for um, creating more mindfulness and seeing when those biases come up or the story comes up. And yeah, meditation mitigates biases. I like that. Mm -hmm. I like that. It sounds like a good program. Yeah, you could start <laughs> or I could start. I don't know. Um, oh, you mentioned earlier about Oprah. I didn't. I don't want to just like skate past the queen um, and not mention. Right. Yeah. I mean, your degree in journalism, it's never too late. It's never too late. And um, I got to go and see Oprah bef right before the pandemic hit. We oh, went yeah, to Atlanta. Yeah. Oh, what a game changer. And she she is one of the reasons, if not the main reason that I even had a thought to do this podcast, because you shared earlier about how important it is that we share and own our story. Um, I know Brene Brown says that when we own our story, we get to write the brave ending. And it's just like stepping in to our greatness and owning and listening to Oprah and her guests. I was like, well, not everyone's going to be on super soul sessions with Oprah. You know, so intermission was born um, kind of out of that, like this intermission to, you know, know better, do better. My Angelo says, you know, know better, do better. And I think what what better time to turn the focus inward and focus on what's going on inside so that we can have a conversation like you did, a de-escalating de conversation, like have a a solid foundation, a groundedness that we can have those difficult conversations without lashing out. Um, and yeah, I, well, go ahead. I'm sorry. I, I was just going to say when we talked on the phone earlier, what I felt from you is a calling in. And I know there are times when we need to call out. And I love how you said that it can be done like with compassion and respect. And, um, and also there's times when we need to call each other out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love it when you said that the other day of like a, a calling in, it's like it's calling people out so that they can rise higher. Mm. And I love that what you and it's, um, you know, it's like the mayor in uh, Atlanta, where she was like, you're better than this. And she was speaking up to them, like calling mm. them out to speak up to them, like level your whole self up. And, you know, we're at a really critical time like this revel. It's a revolution of um generation of voices a shift it's mm. also a revolution of our you know I, I had the honor of like being able to spend time with uh, Dr. Cornell West um, and if you don't know him you need to know him mm -hmm. and he just did this interview with Anderson Cooper that's great but he helped write the matrix and Abercrombie we sponsored him a while and what he said is you know he said this like gosh it was eight years ago and he's like we are morally constipated hmm and it stayed with me. And I was like, well, here it is. Like <laughs> it is, everyone is going, but you know what? One thing that you said about Oprah is it, and Brene Brown is like, when we're able to write our own story and have this bravery, you know, like, I feel like during this time I was, I was able to like, this is, I was able to own my own story, you know, of, of having it. Um, it was, a, it was a suffering in silence um, mm -hmm. and uh, of living in two worlds where a lot of, there's a lot of trauma that I have. Uh, when I use trauma, I use that loosely of scarring and triggering mm -hmm. um, of, and 
black community and not fitting in um, either to black or to uh, not black enough. Um, you sound white, you act white, you're stuck up. Like there's all this stuff, right? There's guilt that I have. Like, you know, I, I grew up in a Midwest middle-class household that was very nuclear. And, you know, my parents have been together for nearly 40 years and like family structure, my family are really close. And so, you know, like there are parts of town that I wouldn't go to, you know, like there, there's privilege that I also have. And, um, and so there's guilt on that. And then there's also, and the like elements of white community of like, I don't, I can't hold space to have the conversation of like, I need to understand my white privilege. We have, we, we all have privilege and like do the work to figure that out. And also um, like the element of microaggressions or I personally didn't experience them gratefully because I, I have a, an amazing group of friends um, and I, my friends, I don't even need to say that they're allies, that they're, that's just who they are. Um, and where I never really knew like, what are the eyes or what are the questions that I was always going to get because I was black or like this over tokenism. So I, I shied away a lot from that. So, you know, all the way up until I moved to New York, which was like my early thirties, it was like the first time I felt like I could take off the veil. Mm-hmm. Like I don't have to be in these two wor- worlds because New York, it's the, Although it's segregated in so many parts that it, it definitely is like you're walking down the street and it's intercultural, it's diverse, and it's not one way. And there's so much freedom in that, mm. so much freedom um, mm. and to be. And so um, I, I think I lost my train of thought. Oh, so like being able to own that, like what that has revolutionized in me during this sadly after George Floyd, it was like, gosh, enough is enough. Mm. Like enough is enough feeling like I'm either too much of this or I'm too much of that or too little of this or too little of that, you know, and a lot of times of, you know, what people have seen on Instagram, it's always things that I always felt and shared. I shared it with my close friends. However, there is a stigma. There was a stigma in generalization society, white culture, whatever, and past of being then an angry black woman. Mm-hmm. Like there's no part of me that's angry. And so that is like the mask, right? Like the mask where you can't breathe and you can't talk. Like to me, that was almost like a muzzle of being able to really speak my truth of seeing what was not working and not right. And things that were left out and exclusive And then people saying to me, like, these are the microaggressive comments that I got. Well, then you don't believe in the culture. Mm. Well, we need optimism. And, you know, like you practice Baptist yoga. I do too. Right now I'm at a 50-50 with Baptist yoga and how I feel Mm. about it. I've, I've, um, I've tried calling it in and now I'm calling it out because it's not diverse. It's Mm. not equitable. It's not inclusive. And I still love the practice. And I still want to be a part of it. And I'm still wanting to like help with it. And there isn't that there. And so it's like, well, we just need to like 
be a yes. Well, I'm a yes for like making sure that people are getting access to it. Yes. And so if I can't call out what I don't see, then we, how can we really be a yes? Right. So Mm. that has kept me silent for so long. And I think that when I just saw this, it was like, I don't, I don't really even care. Yeah. I I don't care anymore. So, because I know the ones who were with me are like ride and die and um, we'll be like right there. And so, um, because it's like, who who can suffer in silence like that for all of their lives? Mm -hmm. So I just, Mm. I digress and a lot to unpack in that full statement, but that was amazing. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's so good to hear um, all of that, your perspective and um, there's so much truth. Um, you know, I lo- also love the Baptiste um, practice, the journey into power and what it has given me, like to stand in my own power, like you said, to own my story. The practice has given me those tools in order to do that. And <laughs> I'm a white woman who can hide my sexuality if needed until I feel safe. And how, like, I tell you, like, I, I want to stand like with you and how can we make a shift? And, you know, the um, owners of the studio um, that I manage and teach at Shakti Power Yoga, we have also, like, noticed we have been blind to um, being exclusive, to saying everyone is welcome and not really doing the work to make sure everyone knows like you are welcome. Black Lives Matter. Like we are in the work now and there's so much work to do. And I, you know, in the Baptist um, community, I do feel that there is hope. And also like, what can we, like, what can I do? And I'm, I'll do my own research and I'll make my phone, I'll make the phone calls and the owners of Shakti, they're, you know, pretty embedded in the Baptist community. And I even spoke to them briefly based on our conversation before. And, and, you know, they're a yes, like to helping in any way that we can. And maybe some of this we take offline, but I just want you to know that I, I'm a stand with you and we'll do whatever it takes to make, this practice and the trainings more equitable, like everyone should be able to attend. You know, I remember going to level one is like every, I want everyone that I know, everyone in my family to have access to this training. And I don't know if there's a few things that you could give based on like all of the work that you've done in diversity, inclusion and equity um, that, a place like Shakti, there's probably small business owners listening to this um, or business owners. It doesn't have to be small, but, you know, and with the Baptist community, like, are there a few steps that can be taken or emails to be sent or phone calls to be made or. Yeah. I mean, that's why I also started Minnesota Yoga Coalition, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd say that's like one area that people can start and it will eventually keep evolving is, that how do we get more representation in spaces? How do we make the programs more equitable? And, um, you know, uh, and like there's six pillars that we rely on and that we're asking everyone to look through those six pillars and, um, and move forward through with that. And, and, you know, like 
one of the biggest things like number one is like, yes, we can say all are welcome. And and, and I'm probably so conditioned to it because when I walk in a room, I know if I'm the only one, right? I'm sure, let me ask you this question. When you walk into a room and and it's a full of women, what's the first thought that comes in your head when it comes to like identity? Do you say like, I'm probably different. Like I, most of the women in this room are probably straight. Is that kind of like a thought that goes in your head? Sure. Yeah. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So like I always walk into a room and I can notice if I'm like the only person who's black, the only person who's this. It doesn't take much. Yeah. Right. Like we've all felt, we've all felt like the only one before, Mm -hmm. no matter what our identity are, there is like 32 different dimensions of diversity. Mm -hmm. And so if we keep asking the question, I, when I walked into the room and I felt like I was the only one, then that becomes your personal activism in order to, it doesn't, it doesn't require like, you know, it's funny. I called my boss and she's black and she lived in the corner of the Rodney King riots and I was like, shoot, we need to start reading books because everyone's buying white fragility. It's out on Amazon doing all this stuff. Like, I haven't read any of this stuff. And she's like, me neither. I was like, I don't even know what BIPOC means. And now here's another acronym that people are saying. She's like, I don't even know what it stands for either. It's like all of these like buzz things that are coming on, like we're layering it and making it difficult. Mm. And the only thing that I need to say is like, how can I be more consciously inclusive because I know what it feels to like to be the only, like the only one. And that is compassionate disruption. So when I go into a place and I know that I'm the only one and I feel that, I start looking for all of the other people that may be feeling that way. And then inviting them in, that is a calling in to me, right? Mm-hmm. So like you feel that, like you feel what that feels like. You don't need the intellect to know what that may feel like. And so mm-hmm. you as a woman who is out and you said, I can hide that, right? Like imagine what that feels like to hide being gay. Mm. So imagine what that may feel like hiding, like being black because you don't see the representation. Mm-hmm. Now that you know where that feels and you feel it in your gut, you feel it in your core, your solar plexus, heart, throat, mm. you now know what to do. Mm-hmm. You like go out. It's like if you buy a yellow car, you start seeing a yellow car everywhere. Yes. <laughs> So now you're going to yeah. walk into the studio and you're going to be like, why isn't there anyone that's gay? Okay, great. Now, why isn't there anyone that's black here? Like you can start to see it. Yeah. And we have to like be able to disrupt that ourselves and put ourselves in those experiences in which we feel uncomfortable. That is mm-hmm. a perk. getting uncomfortable without getting comfortable. We can sit behind our screens. We can do all of the training, but if you still continue to have your circle of influence, it's still the same. That training is only training. Mm-hmm. It- falls in deaf ears. And so it's putting ourselves in uncomfortable situations every time where we feel like we're the only, like the only one. And then that is how we begin to shift our behavior to be more inclusive and more equitable for all period. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, like, that's why like LGBT, that that is Q that's like such a huge act of allyship of myself. Cause I'm like, it's civil rights. Martin Luther King fought for me, fought for, for all people. There was someone that did that. If I couldn't get an apartment because I'm black, like, you know, there's now, you know, that you could get fired before you could get fired for being gay. But if I got fired because I was black, I would never want that to happen. That's where equity is. It's where it, cre- it changes a system where then it's access for all. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, I, I 
so I, I love to think about the women who are feminists. And it's like, if you want like women's rights, then that is like the gateway of equity then to really be a stand of saying black lives matter, LGBTQ lives matter. Mm-hmm. If you're going to fight for the rights of women and feminism, because then there's also intersectionality, right? So I am black and I am a woman. And a lot of times when we talk about women, we think about white women. Mm-hmm. So like, we don't think about the gay woman or the black woman, the Latino woman, woman. Mm-hmm. And so that is broadening our lens and our diverse scope. Um, so, so I don't have the perfect playbook. Um, what I know is that you only, I've felt it in my bones through experience. And so there's a lot that I still have to learn. I don't know what it feels like to be a black man. I'm not, I'm not a man, you know, and I'm not a black man. So I, I, I couldn't speak for a black man. There's that element of a small piece of protection that I have. I wouldn't know what that's like. Um, and so I, I don't want to pretend that I know. So I can't answer that for all. Mm-hmm. Um, cause I haven't been in that experience. So I ask every woman to, you know, walk in a room, be the only white woman in a room full of black women, mm-hmm. be the only woman in a room with gay men, be the only woman or man or white man in a room with all black men and begin putting yourselves in uncomfortable conversations and the work becomes very easy. Mm-hmm. Period. Oh, you've said so many good things. I mean, my mind's over here just being blown. And you talked about like not because a lot of times in my life, if I'm working towards something, I can easily get caught in the weeds. And like right now, the weeds, so to speak, could be reading white fragility, reading how to be an anti-racist, you know, doing the trainings and then just just sitting in that in the weeds of all the information. And I think you nailed it. And it lands for me like at Shakti and in my own life, like using my own life as a tool for change. Like, like you said, going into the uncomfortable conversations or being the only one. I love that. Like just knowing what that feels like and then calling people in, like being inclusive and, um, creating a place where they feel like their voice matters and that they're heard. And um, like you said, all women, black women, and I even think about black trans women. You know, we just had the anniversary of the Stonewall riots. Um, that was the shifting point of the civil rights movement for the LGBTQ plus community. And black trans women were on the front line of that movement. And um on my list to watch is Disclosure with Laverne Cox on Netflix. Um, But she had posted a quote on her Instagram that says the achieving of basic human rights, dignity, justice, or equity for one group of people does not mean that something is being taken from another group. That's scarcity thinking and will always drive us further from each other. Mm -hmm. And something that this practice has taught me when I'm coming from a place of scarcity, because I know there's probably um, the demographic of this podcast is, you know, mostly white. And there's a lot of people that might be feeling like, Oh, if, if we give, you know, these right, you're taking something away from me. And um, just thinking about like how, and I, I think it was um, 
Abram, Ibram X. Kendi said that there is no neutrality in being a racist. Like you're either an anti-racist or you're a racist. And I just think about the people that might be listening to this and just the way that you shared, like how we can start to make a change and a shift for all humans to have equal, um, to have equity and is to use our own life as a tool and not get caught in the weeds. Cause I can see myself doing that at times, like getting so caught up in finishing white fragility, like that's going to mean something like, yes, it's a tool. And also how can I put myself in a room of all black women where I'm the only one. And I just want to thank you for sharing that because that, that really lands for me and something I want to do more of. Yeah. And those are all good. It's like one, it's like one sixteenth of all of the resources, right? Right. Like those books, like those are all great to read. And I like to think of it as like analysis paralysis. Like we can read all the things we're such a knowledge craving society because it, I, I personally think it feeds ego like, Oh, I read all these books. So I know, mm-hmm. I know all the answers and I know more. And, and then what we also forget is like how to feel like, what does it really feel like? You know? And um, it's only one piece of the puzzle. There's probably a million other people that are scholastically more competent to talk about this subject than me. And I know, I know enough to, and I also have felt more. So those two together, that's like the EQ and the IQ, right? Mm. Like, you know, it's like, you need both in a leader and the leader that also has like all the IQ may not have the EQ and, and Brene Brown talks a lot about that and vulnerability. And that's what this is really called. Our leaders is to be able to show both and the level of vulnerability. And a lot of times vulnerability, you don't learn in black print on pages mm-hmm. you learn it through talking with people experiencing it feeling it and using that as um directing you where you need to go in order to get yourself so you know that that's a challenge that that's my challenge that i'm giving to you i'm calling you into now that you've read those and you've done that that is amazing so i'm giving you that homework to like put yourself in a new environment maybe even driving to different side of town where you're like, I don't even feel safe here. Yeah. Even for five minutes to like, feel that Mm. that felt like that begins bringing that up for you. Mm -hmm. you Mm -hmm. I am up for that. Great. I accept your challenge and I'll ask you to hold me accountable. (laughs) You don't have to, it's not your job to. And also as a friend, um, if you would hold me accountable, um, yeah, for sure. yeah, I'm, I'm up, I'm up for that challenge. And thank you for asking. So I know you briefly mentioned earlier, but Erica, um, started the Minnesota yoga coalition and I'm reading on their website right now. It says we are an alliance for combined action, bringing inclusion, equity, and diversity to the Minnesota yoga community. And, is that also, are you bringing that to outside of the state of Minnesota or is that something you're offering? Um, Cause I know Shakti is interested and someone listening might be interested. And if you want to just share a little bit about that and how they can find out about 
what you're up to. Yeah. Well, I mean, this was like, okay, well, what's my activism, you know, like protesting for me during all of this isn't my thing. I think of mass shootings, like there's a, there's a thing, you know, in the U S so I thinking of all the work that I've done, yoga, diversity and inclusion. And it's like, my story is, you know, I have health and wellness has been important to me all of my life. And, um, I've always been a seeker of truth, um, since I've could ever remember. And I didn't know what that meant. And, um, so I started doing yoga when I lived in Ohio, found a Baptist studio there. And then I, like yoga kind of started feeling a little cringy to me. It was all about like, what outfit are you wearing? And got to go into the studio and be this way and have the perfect playlist and all this stuff. And, and, um, so then I was talking to a friend, um, her name's Chelsea Jackson and she's a global yoga teacher. And, um, and we were in Atlanta and we were talking and she got her PhD from Columbia, um, in, uh, yoga studies. Um, and she's black and she was saying how she like, you know, Wonderlust wanted her to lead that yoga journal. She was in the cover for the first, first black woman on yoga journal. This was probably like four years ago. So just four years ago. And, and she's like, you know, if you really want to see change, you do have to be the only one. And tokenism to me was like, I shied away against that. And I just started crying because she validated what, I had always like what I always my work, which is showing companies like representation, representation matter. And for my own self, like there was this whitewashing that was so pervasive for me that I didn't even want to go into teacher training because I didn't see someone that looked like, like me. So there was this validating feeling that she said that I didn't even have the courage to say, and I didn't know it was so deep in the subconscious. And um, then I moved to Minnesota, found Minnesota Power Yoga. The teacher there is great. My friends are there. He's great. And then like began that. And I, as I started looking around, I'm like, I mean, I've always known like, this is enough. You know, how do we hold teachers, studio owners more accountable? I can't be the only one that sees that there's not a single, like there's not brown people walking in studios. You know, like that would be a minimization mindset. Like I don't see color, you know, because I, then I always, I always act, like to ask the person, then tell me what color pants you're wearing or tell me what color eyes you are, unless you're really colorblind, right? Um, and so, yeah, I, I was just like, let's, I'm going to do this and um, do it out there. And 120 people joined our first call nationwide. Um, and I had some friends reach out. Their skills are so much more novice than mine and um, intermediate than mine. And they've helped a lot and it's grown a lot. The engagement is extremely high. I have no idea what I'm doing and I know what I'm doing at the same time. Um, and we've gotten a lot of interest outside of the state of Minnesota. So yeah, it, it, Minnesota Yoga Coalition is going to be one of the chapters for what will be the larger yoga coalition. And so other states can have it. And, you know, there will be things that we will have, like a membership. Mm -hmm. um, like, so the coalitions and other states can join in on this. And we'll have resources like diversity and inclusion training. We'll have a database of diverse teachers. So if you're a studio that doesn't have a person of color that's a teacher, then you can go into this database and, and leverage that group of teachers. Um, 
We will be offering grants and scholarships for people of color to have more access. So um, very similar, you know, I went to Kenya twice with Africa Yoga Project. So very similar to that. And it was such an honor to spend time with Paige. And, um, you know, when I first heard about Africa Yoga Project, I remember thinking that's exactly what I want to do in the U.S. within two seconds. And, um, And I didn't know how. It didn't know the how, and now the how has showed up. So yeah, that's what it's like. We're, I mean, we're like three or four weeks in, so we're trying to get the walls, build the foundation. We do have that and getting the walls up. So I, I'm so excited for you and for the world and the yoga community and however I or Shakti can support you guys in the state of Tennessee. We are a yes for that. So just let us know how we can support that. How can people get in touch with you? Is it best to go through Instagram or the website for the Minnesota Yoga Coalition? Yeah. So for the Yoga Coalition, the best is to go to the website. So M as in Mary, N as in Nancy, yogacoalition.com. They can go in there and then there's like a sign up. There's a pledge that we have on there. There's like eight or nine commitments um and then we'll they'll get entered into our database and there's current work that we're doing right now with um some committees and then um once they're inputted into that that'd be great and they can also follow minnesota yoga coalition on instagram now like what i said is we already have it to make it yoga coalition we're working within this little chapter um and uh, so that the, on Instagram, it's mn.yogacoalition. Um, and then that's how they can reach out. And then for myself personally, like Instagram is probably the best way. So it's Erica, E-R-I-C-K-A dot Jones underscore. Yeah, reach out to Erica. We did not touch. We have a, a few minutes. I mean, really, we can take as long as we want. But um we did parking lot, the masculinity, um, topic. Is that something you would like to touch on? Yeah. I mean, it's always a thing that's there for me. You know, like, I think that like that man charging at me, the first thing I thought was like, how disrespectful that you're charging at a woman, you know? And so I do think that there's this conversation around policing the police force It's heavily male, there's a male, you know, like there is like a toxicity in it and really a balancing, you know, like a balancing of gender, um, of the compassion, the vulnerability, um, and emotion. And so I think that that there is that level of it, you know, even like the bias when I was watching the news during like the element of George Floyd, it was so interesting to see how like female journalists reported this differently than some male journalist or people of color, like anyone that was non-white who was a journalist compared to those who were white. So I think that there's some looking in that. Um, and uh, I, I don't know what that means, but it, it's something that I'm really curious about. So I just thought yeah. that it was interesting that it wasn't the woman that was charging me or screaming. Right. <laughs> it was the man that was. And mm-hmm. I was like, there's nothing like cool about that. Like you as a man feeling like you have the audacity to charge at a woman like that. Yeah. Like that was my first thought. Like, mm-hmm. and as you can see, I'm like a feminist first <laughs> um, in that sense. So I was like, uh, 
okay, you know, like that, that was intimidating in that sense. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a curiosity. And I think there's something to, you know, I know Brene Brown talks about this a lot. Like she shares a story about a man that approached her after her talk. Cause all of her research was around women. And yeah. he, he was like, my family would rather see me die on the horse than fall off of the white horse. Like they, to be vulnerable for a man. And I, I think about there's something to be looked at there and how men aren't taught to show their feelings or express emotion. So it gets stuffed down. Right. And then all of a sudden it's rage or anger or totally. charging at you and saying, totally. fault. and, um, so yeah, I have a lot of curiosity around that as well. And yeah. Well, it's interesting that you bring that because, you know, that's what I was sharing. And like during this, like, you know, I believe in, you know, like the riots to the point and protests or, you know, I believe in peaceful protesting and writing to a point because there is meaning behind that. Um, but I was, you know, as I was looking at all the individuals who were young, I was like, wow, it just went to rage. Mm -hmm. Like there, it was like anger and like, here's rage. How do we contain rage where it becomes actionable yeah and there was this powerful video that went viral and it's this black man and he's like 30 something and he's talking to a younger boy and he's just screaming find another way like you're angry i'm angry and you need to find another way because your way isn't working and what this kid was doing i think was like burning something mm -hmm. and um and you know so i think that there's like there's a little bit of that that i'm really curious about um, mm -hmm. how that plays into the rage and, and I, you know, I don't, I don't want to generalize and just say it's all men cause there are definitely women, mm -hmm. but, um, what yeah. my experience at that moment was a man charging at me. Right. The day. Right. So, mm. so much to I look probably, at. I don't think, I don't think I would have, and maybe I wouldn't have reacted differently if it was a woman charging at me, mm -hmm. probably would have been a little, not as. Maybe not as cordial, but probably I would have. But I wonder if it would have, how I would have responded differently. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So much to like look at and uncover and learn and unlearn and action. So much action. And amongst all of this action, I know you just celebrated a birthday. Um, oh, yeah. like happy birthday. And yeah. I, I do think it's important to, while our hearts can ache for the world and for oppressed like people, people being harmed. Like we also need to take time, like you said, for meditation, like ways that ground us getting in nature has been something for me, like actually putting my feet in my front yard, like in the grass. And um, so this is something that I call on the podcast, joy pop. So it's like dirty pop. Are you an NSYNC fan? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, was like, I, was like, I almost responded like dirty pop. Yeah. Yes. Yes. But it's joy pop. So like what um, brings like, or what do you do to be grounded so that you can access joy during a time like this? Like how did to celebrate? Cause it, you know, last night it started to rain. We went to the drive-in theater to see Garth Brooks and um, it started to rain. And my first reaction was, to protect, like put everything in the, in, inside the car, like, you know, get everybody out of the rain, get myself out of the rain. And I was like, wait a minute. And I, because of this practice, meditation is like, I took a pause and was like, 
what am I trying to protect myself from? It's just rain. And so literally we just stopped and we danced in the rain. And it was a moment that like shifted things for me where I felt a sense of like freedom and vitality. It was invigorating. It didn't harm me. So all of that to say, what, what do you do to be grounded or to find time to celebrate or to access joy during a time like this? Yeah. Um, work out. Uh, mm-hmm. and I like quiet time, like literally like nothing on nature is huge. Like getting lost in nature, just roaming. Um, and then really being protective of, uh, the people around me, meaning, um, some may say it's boundaries, but, and I know, I know it's like leaky prana. I know the connections that I have, like what's going to take a lot of more effort. Um, and during this time, like there are groups of friends that I'm just like, Oh gosh, I could just go and be and not have and be, you know, like, I don't have to talk about this or we don't have to talk about the way of the world. So, um, really like leaning into them, not even leaning. Sometimes it's like falling into them. Um, and, um, a lot of walks have been great, like nighttime walks with music. I love, um, I think I have a curated playlist for every step of life. It's like, Oh, this is George Floyd. This is what I need. Like that's the moment in time. It's it's like every range of motion. Um, and so like playing that over and over music, it to me is like very soothing. Um, and yeah. And what I've learned in COVID is it's nice that um, a lot of things have been canceled. So I've been very quick not to fill it up. And sometimes just silencing everything, like not checking the email not checking the thing. Like mm. that's just what I did over the past couple of days for my birthday. It was like summer's here and I actually need to enjoy it. I'm yes. not looking at any emails. I don't want it. Anything that I don't want to do, I'm not going to do it. So I mean, it sounds really rebellious, but it's like, I just needed a couple of days to like be. So yeah. I, it's like a really good quick clearings of stuff. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. today, my girlfriend and I, we, grabbed breakfast at this like one of my favorite restaurants and I had a blanket in the back and we literally just like laid in the grass and like just stared at the sky and just talked ate breakfast had a mimosa and then left like it was so perfect it was like you know like that time is invaluable to like really be um to recharge the batteries quickly it's so important and I love a mimosa by the way. And, um, yeah, just we, I'm in the 300 hour training with Shakti right now, and we're keeping a journal on, uh, our energy journal. So what, what drains us and what energizes us. And it's been really interesting to look at kind of like you said, like there's certain places that you can go or certain friends where, you know, it will be like draining, and exhausting. It'll be energizing or at least just a sense of comfort and ease. And um, I love that. That's just so important. And I love the idea of the your spontaneous 
lay in the grass today, you know, like really listening, you know, to what maybe yourself is asking for um, in those moments and not pushing it aside. You're like, I'm going to get the blanket and lay down and just look at the sky. I think that's amazing. What, what does the first hour of your day look like? Oh, well, I get up very early. Um, So, um, man, the first hour I'm doing a yoga studies program right now. So it's um, like uh, um, Dinachara, which is like a tradition, a ritual in Ayurveda. So it's the first hour literally is doing that. So Mm. it consists of that ritual meditation, a little bit of reading Mm -hmm. um, and sitting in silence for like an hour, not not like the full hour, but it's like quiet um, or I don't check my Mm -hmm. phone or um, I mean, that's, it's very early, Mm -hmm. uh, which that's my first hour of the day. It's like, put your own air mask on before the world comes. Yes. And I know when we first were doing this interview remotely as Erica is in Minnesota. Um, when we first came on, she came on camera, she had a, a picture behind her that said, be still. Mm-hmm. Um, so what comes to you in the stillness? What do you, what do you get from that time? Mm, rest- restoration, which is different than relaxation. Relaxation. It's like restoring the soul, um, shutting off thoughts, like things that, um, yeah, like letting thoughts like come up and go by and not letting them hold on and, and recover, like recovering, restoring. Um, and then through that, like being able to like really cultivate trust and knowing and being still like really trusting because in the busyness, like for me, busyness is like me trying to like control something or not have trust. So I can sit in stillness and it's like, I'm trusting what will be, will be. I love it. And if you had a billboard, what would it say? Don't stop till you get enough. Don't stop till you get enough. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I love that. Don't stop till you get enough. I love it. Oh, Erica, what a treat. I really feel like I could talk to you for hours and also, I know you need some time to cultivate joy and um, do whatever it is you want to do on your Sunday evening. Yeah, I'm just so grateful that you took time to do this. And thank you for trusting me. And thank you for just sharing so openly. And I know that I have gained a lot from this podcast. And my commitment is that it won't go without action. And I've made a commitment um, to take action. And I'm going to stand by that. And I'm just so grateful for you as a human and grateful to, you know, to know you now and to be, um, on this journey with you. And yeah, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for giving me this platform and being super supportive and open and lifting my voice and, and really being curious and being in the work for steps. So thank you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Thank you, everyone, for listening, and welcome to your own intermission.